Hello everybody and welcome to a special podcast episode of the Made in Scotland 80s. This is a highlights episode of the season one. Um, so we've covered about 15 or 16 episodes uh, and I'm just going to have a little snippet of my favourite ones basically and oh, can I say that? Well, yeah, they're all my favourite. So I've got to have a little snippet of the artists we've spoke to some songs and what a wonderful year it's been for me. Um, when I first started the podcast, I didn't think I'd get anywhere near the listeners that we have or the followers that we have on Twitter. So thank you very much to everybody that engages with the pl- the Twitter, the platter, the Twitter, and who listens to the podcast. So really do appreciate it and I'm glad you enjoy it as, as much as I do making them. So it's weird because sometimes now when you go and you're at a gig or something, people will say, I recognise your voice. Are you that guy from Made in Scotland? So, yep, if you ever see me, I'm usually walking about with a microphone. If I'm lucky enough to get to a gig, please, please come up and say hello, introduce yourself, let's have a chat about why we're there, what we're listening to. And, aye, let's just, you know, enjoy. Um, So let's go on this one. We'll go back to very first episode, which was with Jesse Ray. So here's Jesse talking about his brilliant song that he wrote back in 1980 or something like that, uh, Inside Out. So sit back, relax, have an hour or so of fantastic Scottish music and just enjoy it. Thanks very much for tuning in. Here's Jesse. Anyway, so that was 1980 and it was kicking around Atlantic Studios for two years on the shelf, nine hand. Right. And then Odyssey got the job for Odyssey as producer. <laughs> so they were looking for songs. And uh, Jimmy says, I think I've got a song here. So he put on Inside Out. Got they fell off their seat. Yeah. And he said, we've got to do this song, Jimmy. We've got to do this song. And so that is, I was called in. I hadn't met the band yet. I never actually met the band till I went to Scotland. They were touring in Scotland. Right. So I said, uh, who's in this band? And he said, oh, there's two lassies and a girl, a uh, laddie. And I says, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll voice the parts down the track like them, you see? Right. Uh, so that when they come in and listen to it, they'll know where the choruses and the bridges are, what they're supposed to be singing. They can work it between them. Which is, So I sang like two lassies and a guy. And uh, I laid that down, and then uh, I went off and I was doing all the other things I was doing. And about, is it four months later or five months later or something, I went back to Scotland again, and uh, when I got off the plane, I was driving down the borders, and I heard, I thought I heard something on the radio that was kind of familiar, but I didn't really pick up on it. But I got in the house, and my mum says to me, is that not your song? And it was number two in the charts then, <laughs> see? And I'm going, that was you just inside it? out, you know? <laughs> uh, and then, uh, then what was even weirder was they were on top of the bops, but they were miming to me. <laughs> they kept my vocals in, but basically, the the two guys in the lassie were 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 miming to me. Maybe and I, I thought it was a very weird situation, <laughs> you see. But it was already like number one in all the black charts and you know in the black network and all that stuff. They got the number two here. Of your life surround you. 
He's always on the phone And you just don't think that you can fight it Don't give up, don't give up That was yesterday. Um, that's episode one. So now we're going to go to Chris Thompson, which was just a delight to sit and chat with Chris. So these next bits are from Friends Again, Bloomsday and the Bathers, and they're taken from episodes three, four and five. Um, so Friends Again, so we kept going over that couple of year period as punk emerged into new wave um, postcard scene. And we, at some point, though, that'll be James Grant joined, who mm. 
again, was probably more from a, a sort of Americana tradition. It wasn't really at all fashionable. And I mean, Americana, the closest thing many of us were, were aware of was the kind of more the New York scene, the, the, the Velvets, New York Dolls, television, right? all that, that, right. that stuff. But James is coming in with the Eagles, you know, Little Feet. He was a Zeppelin fan as well. But the beauty of it was he'd, he'd sat in a, a, pretty much sat in his room for a couple of years in Castle Milk. Right. Learning those, the, the musicality was high with James. And he, he always was all in a fantastic player, great, great talent. Yeah. And so when he joined the band, it was a sort of quantum leap in terms of technical ability. And of course, we, we'd got to a certain stage, but that, that kind of turbocharged the thing to, to, to really, we all, we all had to raise our game quite considerably. Uh-huh. And I, I'd already had some songs in the bag, but James came in and contributed. We started co-writing a bit, you know, I, I don't know, and he, say, he would say, oh, I've got a bit of this, and we merged things. Yeah, yeah. And he had a few riffs kicking about, and I can think of one off the hand was, was Sunkissed. He had the, the the very distinctive sort of funky riff, and I said, okay, and I, I played about, and added things, we chopped and changed.
I was approached somewhere towards the making the, the end of making that, the Sweet Deceit record by the two um, former Lloyd Cohn the Commotions players, Neil Clark and Stephen Irvin. Yep. After Lloyd had split up the Commotions, they were looking for a new project and someone had said, well, why don't you speak to Chris about it? And I, I kind of had spoken to them. You know, we, we emerged from the same scene of the... The commotions went supernova very quickly, which is you know, well deserved. Is you know that that first album is amazing. That is, I. And so I'd, I'd kind of met them in passing in the rock garden or something in town, and um, I probably knew Lloyd bet, better than Neil, you know. But anyway, they approached they approached me, said, "Look, we're we're trying to get something going." And as I finished the sweet deceit thing, the uh, we did demos as Bloomsday. nice to feel the rain on your face You're with a girl in a fortune and cape of anything You're the language of love You're the language of love Watch your plant her hair with Chinese combs Through her hair you let your fingers roam Last so much couldn't make the stairs What you fell in there was Me on despair Felt the language of love You felt the language of love There's something of you In everything I do I fall from your easy Excuse me please Widely Um, but yeah, I know it's this what we touched on earlier that the it's 
obviously a lot of the songs came about through you know personal heartache anguish whatever um yeah. but it becomes you amplify it and it becomes something more universal hopefully that people people can relate to you know it's i mean i think can think of at least one song that was left over from another project so but it narrative you, you, you would actually just listen to and think, ah, well, that fits perfectly into the, the kind of narrative that you, you, you touched on. Yep. Um, I 
That was Chris Thompson and his many um, variations as he, as he went through the years. Um, it's fabulous work there, wasn't it? Really enjoyed that. Enjoyed I've chatted with Chris loads. Um, do really enjoy talking to the man. He's such a, a gentleman. 
Um, our next one is, is Jim McCulloch. So Jim being a local guy to me, we had a lot in common, so our chats were great. Uh, and Jim was in the BMX Bandits, Soup Dragons, Snow Goose, Green Peppers. There's so many incarnations of Jim. So here's just a little clip taken from episodes six and seven with Jim. We got on the train at Motherwell Station. They got on the train at Bells Hill Station. And it's, right. as, it's as simple as that. You know, and you, you see other, other guys with guitars, you think, obviously before social media and all the rest of it. Uh-huh. You're sort of clocking people and you say, oh, they're, they're kind of dressed like us. They, they're carrying guitars. And, you know, so bit by bit, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd come closer together. You'd meet at the, you know, the central station on the way home and you'd start talking. And that's when the magic began, I guess, you know. Yeah. Aye, we're putting all these styles. So that that was pretty much the birth of the Soup Dragons then? Well, so much the, the Soup Dragons, but just that whole bunch of people coming together for the first mm. time. And then eventually, it, you know, it would become the Soup Dragons, you know. Um, we just sort of found, you know, just bouncing off each other. They're, they're, what they were listening to and what we were listening to were different, but mm. they, they were, there was connections and we were making the connections and we hadn't really, I hadn't really heard, like, um, like Psycho Killer, be talking heads, and they hadn't really heard it in the mood to be Glenn Miller, you know. And, right. and <laughs> so there was room. That's the thing. I think it was the BMX Bandits first because there was room for all these different influences. There was right. no barriers, you know. That was the beauty of it all. Mm. And then we all, you know, mm. that's that's when it all kicked off. Uh, because I, I wasn't sure what came first because they, they kind of both emerged at the same, or both formed at the yeah. same time. But as you said, there it was a, a big group of guys that were bouncing ideas off each other. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just a melting pot of talent and then you just kind of went off in your different directions yeah. to form each group I, I mean I would, yeah I would, yeah I would say it was the, band, the BMX bandits first because we did we were in Bells Hill and Motherwell before we went into Glasgow and then it was Glasgow when you know other other people came into the circle you know from there right. so with the, with the bandits Jim did the release of the first single was that E102 
kick-started a lot, you know, especially out with the Glasgow scene. People in London would start to take notes who's this band, Flexidisc. You don't, that doesn't happen. Well, you know, it happened, it happened to us. Um, <laughs> so these are these are the wee, the wee um, things that happen to you and you've got to really take advantage of, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what we kind of did. We just hold, hold on with both hands and see where it and, and, and just uh, hold on for life and see where it takes you. <laughs> exactly. We were, we're just at that age, you know, we were young and we were, with no real responsibilities. We just wanted to play music and that was it, you know. Great, great. Do you, do you have any standout tracks for your early years that you you would still kind of perform now in any kind of your live shows? Um, well, I, 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 don't, I don't really play any Soup Dragon stuff when I play live, but um, I loved at the time, I loved playing them, you know. I mean, especially those those early shows. It, a lot of the songs were kind of very basic, um, like in the style of like the, maybe the undertones or the Ramones. It was very quick, you know, short and sh- sharp, you know, and, and two minute long songs. And sometimes it's pretty hard to try and remember, you know, how does this one go? How does that one go? Because it was just like playing bar chords, right. a million miles an hour, you know, and it wasn't very subtle. But you know, and uh, Ross, our original drummer. He hadn't played the drums before he joined the band, so it was all very uh, basic and you know primal sounding, you know, and it, and it we just sort of grew out of that. But that was the really exciting time because we didn't really know, you know, more than that. You know, this is this is what we did. This is what you do. You plug in and you play, and that's your sound. <laughs> there, was, there was no great master plan at all. No. <laughs> Any old time 
come. These are the words being from my granddaddy. If you say nothing in this world, like when I'm a knowing free. Free from the lock, I'm say free from the key. Free like a butterfly, free like a bee. These are the words being from my granddaddy. Said it's nice to be free, nice to be free. Free from the lock, I'm say free from the key. Don't be afraid of your freedom. Ah, so there we go. Fantastic chat with Jim. Wonderful guy and still doing some great music with Snow Goose and has Jim McCulloch on his own. So check him out. He's he's brilliant. Uh, our next uh, little clip is uh, it's an album review that we've done. So it was like a really cold and wet end of January night. And I thought, oh, do you know, that's kind of Blue Nile material out that window. So... Um, this is a, obviously I've never interviewed them from the Blue Nile, um, and hats off to anybody that has. So this was me piecing together parts with Paul talking about the album, obviously, and talking about the Blue Nile, and I've pieced it with some live performances. So this was taken from episode nine, I think it is. Yep, and this is Paul talking about Tinseltown the Rain. What happened with that was that individual DJs would would play it, but I think there was still some sort of maybe, I don't know, you know, general feeling that it wasn't quite suitable for for daytime radio, but lots of individual DJ, DJs championed us, and, which was great, obviously, and, and that was really, I think, what, what got the album out. You 
Thank you very much, the Blue Nile. Yes, thank you very much, the Blue Nile. Uh, that was a great episode. I really enjoyed pulling that together because these songs are just timeless. Um, I'm sure there's people out there that, that could wax lyrically about the Blue Nile better than I can. So, you know, we don't need to sum them up. They're probably the most iconic Scottish band uh, and the most elusive. So, anyway, check that one out, episode nine. It's an album review of A Walk Across the Rooftops. So now I'm going to stick in a little advert from a very good friend of mine who encouraged me to start up a podcast. So it's the 80sography. Check him out. His podcasts are great. He's been going for about four or five years now. I has some wonderful guests on there. So it's 80sography. Hi, please check out 80s music podcast, 80sography, full of interviews with people like Midge Ear, Alana Curry, and Hugh Padgham. No idea who they are. With audio commentaries, no clue. Anatomy of a Song episode, what? And also my 80sography where a guest go through their 80s career year by year. So that's 80sography. 80sography. One word, available everywhere. Thank you. Can I go now? Yes, thanks. And now back to Dougie and Made in Scotland, McGroovy. Brilliant. Um, our next episode is The Associates. And it's episode 10. So that's little bits from episode 10. Massive thanks to Grant McPhee and Alan Rankin for allowing me to use their footage on this one. Um, so here's Alan talking about the birth of Party Fears 2. Yeah, Party Fears 2. This would have been back in 77 on a very hungover Sunday morning, having been out in the lash on Saturday night in Linlithgow. Couple of cups of tea, never coffee, always tea with Bill. Um, yeah, sometimes 20 cups a day. Um, but, uh, uh, and then, yeah, lots of fag ash in the piano. An awful lot of fag ash in that, in that piano. And um, we came up w with this uh, motif and it literally took as long to make up as it did to play it. It just played itself. So it goes into the verse. All very normal. Now we need a bit of drama. And we're setting us up for a perfect cadence down into the key of E major. And we're in the chorus. And we looked at each other and we said, this is good. We knew it was good, it was, uh, instinctively, it was, it stood out a mile. It was self-affirming, um, you know, it was important. Uh, it was a bit of a milestone for us, but uh, we knew we couldn't use it um, in 77 or even in 78, not even 79, not even 1980. It just didn't fit in um, because all during the 77, 78, 
There was punk and post-punk, there was goths, and on the other hand, you had disco. Everyone was doing bloody disco. Rod Stewart was doing freaking disco. The Stones were doing freaking disco with Miss You. And Rod Stewart was, do you think I'm bloody sexy? No, not really. Um, but um, so it just didn't seem like a slot and we didn't want to waste it. So we waited till the time was right. And sure enough, when we um, uh, were recording demos uh, in Morgan Studios, which we used to do every Sunday night from uh, nine o'clock at night till 9 a.m. on Monday morning, we'd get that studio time for 100 pounds. And one night we did um, both Club Country and Party Fierce 2, and we demoed that. Uh, we took it to the publisher, and we were signed within about three weeks to Warner Brothers Stroke Beggar's Banquet. Uh, and so that was the reason for holding off. We didn't want to waste it. Oh! 
That guy, Billy, was Billy Allen. Thank you very much. Billy, rest in peace. Um, nah, I just, just love the associates. They were great. Um, so next up is Kevin McDermott. So I had the privilege of meeting Kevin at a gig at the Aberdour, which I was kindly invited by John McTaggart. Great place to go for a gig. And John, thank you very much for asking me along. Um, so we had a chat with Kevin pre-gig, and Kevin spoke about hanging about with his mates and making Mother's Nature's Kitchen. So this is from episode 12. From Mother's Nature's Kitchen, Kevin McDermott Orchestra, or some of the other stuff. People are saying, this was a song in my youth. This, you know, So there's a, a hell of a lot of love for you out there. And you well, know, see, to see you live, it's... Well, you can imagine, when I'm th that was 30 years on, I'm thinking, this is me and my mates having a carry-on. I mean, it's like, that's what that is. Uh -huh. There was no producer in the room. There was no heady. That, you know, Island Records just gave us some money, go to the studio with some money, and left us to it. There's nobody, there's no, nobody in charge there except me, I suppose, yep. and the guitar player who had just left the Pretenders, Robbie McIntosh, who was crashing in my flat in Mary Hill. So <laughs> we, were, we were just kind of like, well, that sounds like Pretenders, Robbie, but you were in the Pretenders, that sounds great. <laughs> uh -uh. Let's go with Let's get on with it. And I was like, well, let's, what we do tomorrow, let's hire some timpani and put it all over everything. Great idea!
There you go. That was about Kevin McDermott Orchestra and Wheels of Wonder. So if you ever want to check more Kevin out, we've got a full live uh, recording of that gig. So definitely well worth it. And there's a few other live recordings of gigs that we've done along the year there in there as well. The Bathers, Starless, Say Kevin and that. So go and get a listen. Um, next up is the Trash Can Sinatras. And this is episode 14 I was lucky enough that John Douglas had agreed to sit down and chat with me, so um, it's just a superb afternoon chatting with John. So this is John talking about uh, how the trash cans um, got their first record deal. There was a period where we were sending cassettes out to labels, and uh, some there was some sort of thing where Paul and Frank ended up having a, a, a day where they would go down to London and go and meet a few people at labels. Right, and one of them was a guy at Gold Discs who sort of liked us as people. We didn't, I think, they didn't think we had the material, but they sort of got on really well with Frank and Paul. And he said, "Let's not get you a couple of gigs." I think this is how it went. Right, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, I'm kind of getting you to go back quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was kind of peripheral to these things. I don't. I, I was just hearing the news of got the boys going to London and and stuff. Aye. But they got Simon, he knew somebody that was involved. I think Simon, who was the, the guy that they met at Goldis was called Simon. Uh-huh. He was an A&R guy. And he said, listen, I'll get you a couple of gigs with the Lilac team. They're doing a tour and they're doing two or three gigs in Scotland. So we were like buzzing. And I think there was one in Edinburgh and one in Dundee. And he saw us playing live and, he, and that's when he sort of was, went back to London and says, we need to sign these guys. Right, right. We did. We, we, there was a period where we were kind of working up more material, and I think the the song event. Once we got the the first, uh, once we had Obscurity Knox, we did a demo of that, and that was the one that said, "Okay."
Ah, the wonderful Trash Cancer and Actress. That was a great afternoon chatting with John. And just when I thought, well, things can't really get any better. We've had so many great artists across the year. Uh, I was lucky enough to get asked over to Paul McGeekin's studio. Um, and that kind of blew me away. I mean, he's sat in a place that, you know, the guy's iconic. Friends again, loving money, starless. And he's worked and mixed, produced uh, hundreds upon hundreds of albums. So this this was a, a great privilege for me. And I hope you all enjoyed it. So these are these, the next excerpts taken from episodes 15, 16 and 17. And this is Paul talking about loving money and starless. It's not well. That, that's that you need to do yeah, that, don't yeah, you? Exactly. you know? And I think James did the same with his solo career when Love and Money split up. You know, he worked hard to be able to do his own shows and not just play Love and Money songs and uh -huh. stuff. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do. And I think he did that very successfully. And, and I suppose as an artist, that's a hard thing that's to hard try thing and to change because you know because you, you have expectations of the audience and you can just. You, I'm not pander's too strong a word, but you know you can just play to that. But yep. James wanted to develop his own solo career, and he has done very well. Yeah, and yep. it, it takes work to do that. You know? Yeah, mm. no, that must be a tough thing to do, and maybe sometimes feel a bit. This is what I do. This mm -hmm. is what I do now. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, well, I think so. I think it's I think a, so, a yeah. two-edged sword as yeah. well, isn't it? You, exactly. you appreciate. Yeah. Well, know, I what, think it, I mean, like a big hit for some artists can be a. An albatross, you know. Aye, aye, <laughs> yeah, it can. <laughs> so we have we have managed to avoid we avoided that albatross. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, maybe not so much because then when your next album comes out in nineteen eighty eight, strange kind of love, yeah. you know that's so that's what that's thirty five oh. years and next year is it? Yeah, it will be. It will be, aye. Oh, <laughs> so that came out in eighty eight. I was eighteen at the time, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> well, I was what well, I'd be twenty six. So I was. Yeah, I was 25 when we recorded in 87, so yeah. And again, you know, when you think of it, it's still quite young. Yeah, so, so from, uh, for you's touring from All You Need yeah. Is Love and Money from yeah. 86 Yeah, because we did a lot of touring. We did... Were you writing on the road? Well, again, James... So James wrote Strange Kind of Love, so... I, I guess he would be. I mean, because we toured with B.B. King, we toured mm -hmm. with Simply Red, all sorts of... Huge, that. huge artists. Huge, I mean, America, Japan, you were everywhere. And uh, so we were, we did a lot of live work, but we used to demo extensively. So James must have been writing because we then went into Savar for like six weeks and demoed. I mean, the demos were like, like a record. It wasn't like, you know, the, everything was there. Right. So like Strange Kind of Love was demoed like Strange Kind of Love. She's like a mermaid Locked in the dungeon of a sunken ship She thinks she's happy Though she's been drawn in by shadow things She closes her eyes And he keeps all the treasure It's a strange kind of love. 
I start to think that that's not like throw the electronic stuff away, make that another project, focus on this kind of more ambient, scory type stuff. Mm -hmm. Who could I get to sing this? Who could I get to sing that? Who could I get to sing this? And I thought the track Starless, I thought, but I've never got a singer. It's always been girls. I thought, so right. maybe it's a guy's song. Maybe it'll sound like a guy. And I thought, in Scotland, who's the male singer that I want to work with? I was like, Paul Buchanan. <laughs> but I don't know him. Oh, do you not? <laughs> no. No, well, well, didn't we've then. met a few times. I've met at kind of industry things and said, how's it going? And had, yep. a, you know, a brief chat, but I don't know him. And then, so I thought, how did I get in touch? And I thought, Mark, my brother-in-law, was at school. Right, the year below him, Mark knows him. Right, I contacted Mark and says, Do you, Have you got a contact for Paul Buchanan? He said, Yeah, I said, I'm not asking for you to give me it, uh -huh. that's not cool. Could you get in touch with him and ask him if I can get in touch? He said, Yeah, three months goes by, <laughs> <laughs> not, a peep, uh, not a peep. So I phoned Mark <laughs> and I said, Did you ever get me? He said, oh. He said, I'll get in touch. Next day, Paul Buchanan phones me. Right. Oh, wow. That was quick. And uh, talking away. And, uh, so did you think, Paul, did Paul have any wind at what you were no, not well, nothing uh, at all? No. Mark had been in touch. You know, yeah, so, yeah. And anyway, so I said, uh, oh, that's great. So we were talking for a while, you know, and then Paul said, first of all, he said, I'm really sorry I didn't get back in touch with the track. Mm -hmm. I've had some personal things and... He said, but I'm I'm looking for someone to work on a new record and Craig Armstrong recommended you. And I was like, oh, very nice, I'm brilliant. And I said, well, cool. And, and he said, and listen, if I like your track, I'll sing on it. And I was like, nice. So so we ended up having lunch. He came over, we had lunch, and he did a guide vocal here. And uh, which was... And here? That was there. He was, <laughs> <laughs> was kind of here. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But you know he was very generous with his time and his performance and all that, and then we ended up we did the vocal again in Savar, uh, but and I ended up not working his record. I now know why, I think, because he's still working on it. So right. he needed someone that had far more time they could commit. I, I was thinking it was the mid-year record, but no, it's one that he's it's coming out soon. I think. Do you think so? Yeah. No, I think he's nearly finished it. Is so it? that's two thousand and thirteen. I'm talking. Yeah. Right. So, right. So, I d I wasn't unaware of that. You know, I thought it was he was going to do it over the summer and it would be done. But uh -huh. I don't think that's the way Paul necessarily works. Yeah. Uh, so he's still working on that record. So I I wouldn't have been able to commit that time. So he was quite quite right in that, yeah, that yeah. sense as well. But I mean, as I say, he was super generous with his time. And you know, we were in the studio, and he was singing. And it sounded amazing. And all that. And I was asking do things and you know sing the way and, and then he said oh, this is amazing this sounds brilliant this is like Blade Runner now that oh. is a big compliment yeah. because that's my favourite all time score you know? yep. so I was like wow brilliant but uh, so that was great fun so and when he did it it was brilliant I'm faithless and fallen careless and loving Deeper and dark like your eyes in the rain I'm thinking of mostly this anytime storm A sense of departure without loss or gain A starless sky 
A day of ghost, an uncertain touch, a complicity that maybe says too much. we have it folks that's the end of the episode so that has been the highlights of season one i hope you've enjoyed it as much as me it's been an absolute privilege to make this and to chat with you all the artists chat with the people that i meet when i'm out recording um just just what a year it's been it's been great um looking forward now into season two we've got quite a few things lined up which you know it's if you tune in you'll get it so subscribe and leave any comments or whatever if you're md you want to hear just send me a voice note and i'll do my best to track them down so i hope you enjoyed this one and i shall see you in season two thank you very much bye